Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Rebooting and we have a very special guest for you today. He is a leading expert in everything security. He has a long military career in intelligence and counterintelligence and is now one of the leading voices on all things security. So welcome Philip Ingram. Hi Lisa, thank you for inviting me along, it's great. It's brilliant to have you. So the first question I always ask my guests is how would your family describe what you do for a living? Well, that's easy. My missus keeps saying to everyone that she hasn't got a clue what it is that I do. Um, and I keep saying to her that whenever she finds out, can she please tell me? Um, I, 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 do, I do bits of everything. You got, you got my past right. Um, I'm a former senior British military intelligence officer, um, but left that over 10 years ago um, and went into industry to learn how business worked and then got back into security and all the rest of it, um, running a, a business to business publication. So I'm not a journalist. Um, but a journalist who specialises in providing content, and that's either informed content for mainstream press across the world, informed content to help um, marketing campaigns or business-to-business activities within the security, defence and intelligence arenas, um, and then um, informed content and bringing sort of high-level conferences together. So and I find that a lot of fun because you, you deal with some fantastic people across the world, including your good self. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. Um... But the reason that I picked you to come on for this episode was because we had so many questions about misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, and you seem to be the perfect person to kind of tell us a bit more about it, what the differences are. So I think one of the starting points here is what is the difference, uh, in your opinion, between misinformation, disinformation and propaganda? Well, it's interesting, and it's a question that uh, uh, that's often confused, and it's really important. It's a pet subject of mine. It's all about creating an effect. Um, and I'll start off with um, the very last line you get on many MI6 reports is that this individual may be trying to influence as much as they're trying to inform. It's outlining a messaging operation at the very beginning in uh, our different intelligence agencies. So misinformation is easy. Uh, That's false information spread just because it's there. There's no real intent to cause, to, to have any effect with it. You're just spreading misinformation. Disinformation is knowingly spreading misinformation. So you know it's bad. You know it's not accurate, but you're deliberately putting it out there because you want to uh, have an effect on it. And then propaganda is uh, the dissemination of um, facts, arguments, rumors, half-truths and lies to deliberately influence. So propaganda and disinformation are almost exactly the same, except you tend to find historically propaganda is connected with uh, governments and government agencies and all the rest of it. However, large corporate corporations um, have been known to get involved in the propaganda game. So the, the the subtleties is really important, but miss could be accidental, known real intent, disinformation, you're trying to cause harm or cause okay. an effect. Okay. And and do you see that sort of, okay, we'll, we'll leave misinformation out for the moment then, and sort of disinformation, propaganda, do you think that we're getting into a period of time where this could actually be classed as some sort of weapon, some sort of uh, way of um, sort of furthering your foreign political objectives? 
Well, if we take it back and look at it, you know, what? why would you want to be spreading disinformation? You're, you're wanting to spread it because you're wanting to deceive people. You're wanting mm -hmm. to convince people to think that what you know is wrong is right and influence them in some way. So is it new? Well, if we go back to oh, pre-6th century, the great um, Chinese philosopher and general Sun Tzu, he said, all warfare is deception, all deception is warfare. So is it new? No. Um, and we come through history and you, you through military campaigns, through political campaigns, um, politicians are always trying to project something slightly different. The military are always trying to suggest to the enemy that they're stronger than they are or they're not exactly where the enemy think they are and, and, and they work their way through. So the, the real difference is as we come into the information age. And one of the biggest areas of, and I'll, uh, it's not misinformation, but it, it comes into the manipulation game is uh, advertising. You know, um, you think of the good, the, the, the good, the good adverts, and um, you know, we, we can. I'll show my age here. Your hands up, do dishes. You say that, and someone will automatically think of a brand. Um, you, you play a piece of music and it could be, you could be thinking of a cigar or a loaf of bread and, and things like that. You're manipulating the way people are thinking. And it all gets into that sort of game. The, the thing that gives it real power today is up until the uh, information age that we live in, communications tended to be controlled by governments. Um, mm. the, the access to newspapers, the way stories came out and all the rest of it, it tended to have some form of overarching control on it. That's true. Now with the internet, I can get a message that I know will sit on POTUS's desk. I have had messages directly to government ministers that I know I can get directly under a government minister and they, they will read it straight from my device. Anyone can do that. And therefore your ability to influence, whether it be for the good or influence using um, misinformation deliberately spread is huge. Combine yeah. that with the information age, with the processing power as it increases, where people understand more and more about your personality, your neighbor's personalities, uh, other people's personalities, and what makes you tick and feed you stuff that you know you're going to like, as opposed to stuff that you know you're going to hate, and you're starting to manipulate. And there's a, there's a lot of studies have gone into that, and this is where it gets very, very dangerous. And it's, it's combining it into this powerful information age that we're in at the moment that means that... Um, uh, disinformation yes as a weapon a lot of my viewers will see the title of this episode and they'll immediately go to russia but that hasn't always been the case they haven't always been the kings of this of this kingdom so to speak um, and we had a conversation on the phone uh, a while back where we were talking about the british as disinformation masters of the universe um so it'd be really interesting to kind of see uh your view on that and and then maybe we can take a bit of a journey to where we are now where you know certainly from an accusation perspective the russians are painted as the kings of disinformation yeah well uh, I'll, I'll go i'll go into more recent history because you know, there, there's there's history of this the whole way through but if, if we go if you take the second world war um and the second world war one of the most successful operations that there was in the second world war was a complete and utter bluff it was propaganda and disinformation uh, and it was all about convincing adolf hitler that um, the Allies were going to invade Northwest Europe through the Paracale and not through Normandy. And that operation was called Operation Fortitude. And Operation Fortitude uh, required the creation of uh, a complete army group, 
um, an American army group. It had a proper commander appointed uh, to the army group. Uh, it had proper communications that were broadcast out as if they were going around routine business and training and all the rest of it. And those genuine communications were transmitted, except it was half a dozen people in the back of a couple of little transmitter wagons <laughs> driving around the place, putting it all out because it had all been pre-scripted and made up. The generals were going around and meeting the troops so that there could be photographs and it put in the press. Um, and it, you know, it, it got into more sophisticated terms because you know the the um, the Axis powers flew reconnaissance missions and had spies looking to see what was going on. Well, there were fields of blow up tanks with camouflage netting over them, but from an aircraft and from a distance, from someone trying to look at them through a, a, a poor pair of binoculars through the the typical British misty fog that, that, that that's around um, you know it, it, it looks genuine so you see the vehicles you, you've got the communications you've got generals meeting things you've got stuff in the press about this fantastic group and it's you you know that's a big powerful group and it's it's folks in Padakali they must be coming there enhance that with one of the most spectacular missions of the Second World War that uh, there's a couple of good books out about but it was called Operation Mincemeat where there was um, a, a British army major who uh, had died, was dressed up in all his battle dress, um, given uh, a briefcase with most secret documents in it. And it was a complete plan um, for the Allied invasion of Northwest Europe. And there was a, a story put out through communications and through different um, uh, espionage agents in different places that he was going in to brief um, people in another country about the invasion plan so that they could, they could participate and brief the resistance. And, uh, oh, the plane accidentally, uh, well, got shot down and his body just happened to wash up somewhere where it could be found and the files passed on to the Germans and the Germans got this most secret file and it told them exactly that, uh, the, the, the complete Allied plan of coming into Calais. And they believed it and Hitler believed it. And he put his troops on the ground to... Um, focus on an invasion through Calais. And even after Normandy happened, he thought Normandy was a bluff and hadn't moved them. And that's part of the reason why we managed to get such a good beachhead in Normandy and then progress through. Um, I, that, that Second World War, that, that's what we did as allies. Um, more recent conflicts, you know, if, if I go to, I, I was in um, Kosovo. Uh, the, the Serbs in Kosovo did, did um, some fantastic deception operations. And you know, they uh, put burning barrels on bridges, um, knowing that it would interfere with the, the, the special uh, surveillance cameras that we had on our aircraft because they were flying so high to suggest that the bridges have been destroyed. Um, they, oh, that's uh, they, really they, they used, Yeah, oh, they, 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 they recognized that um, a microwave oven transmitted a signal that was very similar to an anti-aircraft missile radar. Um, and they ripped the doors off microwave ovens um, tape over the little micro switch on it, switch it on, and um, we would have anti-radiation missiles flying down thinking we're taking out a Serbian anti-aircraft missile battery, and we weren't. The missiles were just being fooled. So you've, you've, got, you've got military deception happening, happening in that case. Um, and, and therefore, it's, it's not uncommon. Um, and the, 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 the Russians are interesting. Um, and they're interesting because they've got it as a doctrine, a formally written doctrine, um, uh, and the, the doctrine is called maskarovka, or masking. Um, and we see that at, at every opportunity. And they run this from a political perspective down into the military perspective and all the rest of it. Classic was, um, well, it happens virtually every time Vladimir Putin opens his mouth, um, but the classic was when Sergei Skripal was poisoned in Salisbury. Um, the first comment that Vladimir Putin came out with was, it must have escaped from the British chemical weapons establishment at Port and Down, just outside Salisbury. 
creating that doubt, creating that bit of um, uh, lack of understanding for those that don't know, that deliberate disinformation to create the doubt. And what did he want with that effect? He wanted it uh, to try and stop there being a focused, um, a quickly focused attack on, on Russia. Um, and did it work? Well, we got the leader of the opposition standing up in Parliament and questioning the government's efficacy of the reports. So, you know, in my view, Vladimir Putin would have been sitting behind his desk um, in the Kremlin in Moscow, big leather desk, big crystal glass filled with vodka over ice and a white cat on his lap, stroking it, smiling away at the television as, as his work was being done for him. And they've got another brilliant word as well. Um, again, I'll use the Skripal uh, example, but we, we remember the two uh, spire watchers that uh, uh, allegedly carried out the attack. Well, they did carry out the attack, um, um, but they, they went on to um, RT.com, Russian television, and they, they gave this statement about saying, no, we went down to see, excuse my Russian accent, I, I'm, I'm no good at it. We went down to see this beautiful spire that we had, we had read so much about, but the snow was too much, so we had to come home very quickly. Um, that, that was, everyone knew that they were deliberately telling lies. It, it stood out like a, like a mile, uh, but the, the Russians have got a doctrine again called Varanya, and again, excuse my Russian pronunciation if there are any Russian files out there, but Varanya is deliberately telling a story that you know nobody will ever believe, but knowing that you'll not be held to account for it. And it's, it's something, if you, if you watch everything that goes on politically, you'll see Maskarovka and Varanya coming out every time. And it's not just with the Russians. It's, there's so many people have been trained by the Russians, and we seem to have lost the art of it. Um, Donald Trump was very good at calling out fake news, recognizing a lot of what was going on. Our politicians are good at trying to manipulate, but from a, a military perspective, from a, um, a, a wider understanding of the effects perspective, from a trying to limit the damage that this is causing perspective, we don't know it. And I haven't got into the AI game yet. Yeah, and I think the Russians with that, with the Litvinenko uh, incident as well, which was even perhaps even more convincing, um, you know, the evidence was well beyond substantial, wasn't it? That this polonium uh, radioactive, uh, in, this material had been taken obviously from Russia. We knew it had been flown into the UK. We knew it, where it had gone because it had left this signature all over London. Uh, and yet they still managed to put out a narrative that actually, although was clearly wrong, was sort of convincing on a level. Do you see what I mean? Well, it, it has to be convincing. And that's why during Operation Fortitude, there were real communications going out. There was a real general appointed. Um, there, there's no point in putting um, disinformation out there that someone can look at and immediately go, oh, no, that's, that, that's completely fake. If you can do that, you haven't achieved your aim. So it's all about the effect that you're trying to achieve. Um, and you know, the, the effect is, uh, we, we've talked a lot about military effect and political effect and all the rest of it. It's not just military effect and political effect. You know, in May 2017, um, the US Securities Exchange Commission uh, put a report out about, about false reporting. And, and they were talking about how um, fraudsters were generating articles about promoting company stocks to drive up stock prices um, mm. and, and profit on the, on the expense. And we get people shorting different things along the stock market. The stock market is ripe for misinformation and disinformation and from, from a, 
um, a financial perspective to be generated. So you've got the military bit, you've got the political bit, you've got um, the financial bit, you've, but the, the worrying bit is when we're now getting into the game of affecting people's thinking. And right. this is where a lot of the controversy came out about uh, the Cambridge Analytica scandal uh, and big data and the ana analysis of big data and then that being used to try and influence political campaigns and targeted political campaigns to get to get people to vote in a certain way. The, the turning of information into physical activity uh, and, and manipulating information to cause a physical effect is becoming more and more apparent on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, we've got the anti-vaxxers out there. People are questioning whether they should go and get a vaccine. We've got the anti-maskers out there. People are, are questioning whether masks will stop um, the spread of coronavirus. And therefore, people are dying because of it. We look at the mm. 5G towers being physically burned down because people thought uh, and believed the stories that went around saying that 5G is causing coronavirus. <laughs> Come on, folks. It's it's not difficult to counter this. Why are our governments not countering it properly and being proactive and recognizing what's there? And, and they're not. And I think one of the things that's happened really recently is Elon Musk, who, like him or hate him, has managed to uh, drum up support for certain companies over other companies in terms of both cryptocurrency, in terms of moving to Signal, in terms of um, all these different platforms. So he's obviously a figure that people see as trustworthy and as someone to follow in a way that obviously other other figures that we've talked about on this episode perhaps are not. Um, so where do you see the responsibility from his perspective then? Because he may very well be believing that what he's putting out is genuine information and is good information and is good financial advice or sense. But do these people have another level of responsibility for the things they put out and encourage? Uh, I, I, th I think anyone who's an influencer has got a level of responsibility um, in, in what they're putting out. Now, you know, Elon Musk, uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, investing re recently $1.5 billion into, into Bitcoin. Bit Bitcoin rocketed, so anyone, anyone who's in Bitcoin is sitting there smiling. Um, but was he, was he doing that to just invest in Bitcoin or was he doing that to stick up two fingers at the normal financial institutions and everything else? We'll, we'll, we'll see as the messaging comes out. But I think, I think influencers have a level of responsibility, but I also think that platforms have a level of responsibility. If, if, if we've got disinformation, so we know that it's something that has been deliberately spread to manipulate and, and therefore is deliberately untrue, is it right and proper that it should be up there for everyone to see? Is it right and proper that um, the algorithms in a platform should target um, specific bits of um, advertising uh, where that advertising is based on disinformation focused on specific individuals uh, to try and influence the way they're thinking and potentially the way they're even voting uh, mm -hmm. on different areas. And if there, there, there've been a couple of studies done um, in recent years and, and two that I'll, I'll highlight. One was from a guy called Victor uh, Danichu. Please excuse me reading this, but it, uh, uh, my, and, and my, my Hungarian spelling isn't, isn't or pronunciation isn't brilliant, <laughs> but he was from the Bucharest University uh, of Economic Studies. And he, he wrote a paper on manipulative marketing, persuasion and manipulating of the consumer through advertising. Now, I'm sure everyone will say out there that they're not influenced by advertising, but I'm also sure that um, if you couldn't be influenced by advertising, then the likes of Facebook wouldn't be making so much money. Um, and True. I guarantee that everyone 
listening to this, if you honestly answer the question, you'll think, I've gone, yes, I have gone and bought something because I've seen an advert and it's tickled my interest and I've, uh, even if it's just something small, but you have been manipulated by advertising. Then there's another um, fantastic study that was done by uh, a Dr. Michael Kozinski, who was at Cambridge University, and he specialised in big data. And he looked at how, if you took big data and analysed, um, you, you, you're getting that from uh, what's available out in the internet, what people put on their social media profiles. So effectively, you're doing um, uh, you're, uh, human factors engineering uh, and looking at the wider human factors pieces that you can get on it. And I know you use this professionally, uh, but if, if you combine the power of AI and big data and pull all that together, you can tend to work out um, what someone's political views are. You can tend to work out what someone buys and and you can therefore tend to put people into different financial brackets. You can tend to understand where people's um, uh, uh, political allegiances lie and everything else. If you can understand that, you can then send messages that reinforce that mm-hmm. rather than messages that um, undermine that. And, and this is what you know, I, I put out in a blog called Hacking Your Serotonin. Well, it's more than your serotonin. It's serotonin, dopamine, um, oxytocin, and other endorphins, the, the, the feel-good quartet. Because if they can make you feel good about a message that's coming in, and you, get, you, you put something out on social media saying, don't like that comment from that uh, politician because they are from that party. And then all of a sudden, you get four or five messages from inverted commas, friends, or other people that are following you in support of your comment, you get this sort of nice little feeling. You think, oh, that's good. Well, that's one of your, yeah, that's your yeah. feeling quartet kicking in, so it reinforces you. You then get into the information age again, where um, one of the biggest threats, I think, is self misinf- what I call self-misinforming groupthink. Now, we've all heard of groupthink um, and can be cognizant of that, and certainly in business, we're, we're cognizant of it. But if you look at what you're doing in social media, a lot of people, um, and Twitter is a, cl- a classic for this, a lot of people, if you get someone who's arguing against you and you don't like your argument and it's they're just Mr. Angry or Mrs. Angry all of the time and everything else, you block them. And how many people are sitting there blocking people who don't have your opinion? So actually what you're then finding is over a period of time that in your timeline, you're getting stuff that's reinforcing your opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's reinforcing um, the feel-good quartet that's coming in. And you're thinking, well, everyone out there, I'm, I've got 10,000 people that are following me. The, those 10,000 people are, are, are following what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not getting all these dissenters I used to get. And therefore, my opinion must be right. And you're, you're right. getting that. My views must be right. Well, And I guess then is- you kind of also then get into this situation where you become more polarized in your yeah. views. So your tolerance yeah. for the other side of the fence, and we've seen this so many times play out in the last few years, right? With Trump, with Brexit, with all these different, um, these things that have happened. And you become so polarized that actually you get to a point where you can't tolerate the opposing view at all. You don't have, I don't feel, I, I actually feel in myself that sometimes I get to a point where emotionally I don't, I no longer have the ability to sit there and see something from someone else's point of view. And that scares me a little bit. And so I read something that uh, some people may not like to hear, but it said that essentially what you need to do is read um, narratives from sources that you are definitely not going to agree with. And you need to sit there and you need to read it and you need to try and understand their perspective to suppress that I guess what you're saying, the that Im- instant emotional reaction that you get to that post. 
Yeah. And, and see, this is where you know, I enjoy this because I come at things from an intelligence officer's perspective. Uh, and an intelligence officer is not there to provide information to support what the key decision maker wants to achieve. Right. The intelligence officer is there to act as the conscience for the decision maker and pass a view of what they believe um, is uh, the, your understanding of the picture that's out there. Now, you're trying to predict the future. You're trying to predict what's happening. You've got um, 150, 10,000 piece jigsaws all mixed together, and you don't have the picture at the, on the front of the box that uh, you're, 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 trying, you're trying to create um, your, your jigsaw piece together with. So as you pick up little bits and pieces of the jigsaw and you put them together, you think you know what you're going on, but, but you're assessing the whole way through. And that's why the MI6 report is, this individual could be trying to influence as much as um, uh, inform. And, and, and from an intelligencer's perspective, you always try to look at things from the enemy's perspective. From, from, uh, uh, and if you do that and you try to understand things from their perspective, you can understand what effect that you're going to have. When I was um, preparing for, for Kosovo, I used to write uh, a paper every evening, um, which I put down as, uh, I, I called Mr. Milosevic's diaries. So what I do is after the day's negotiations, watching what was going on, reading the classified reports that were happening and everything else, which were written from our perspective, I then try and put myself into Milosevic's shoes as he was getting ready for bed and um, write, 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 writing his diary and having his glass of hot milk and, uh, or, or whatever it was that he did um, and, and try and work out from his perspective what he thought of the day's negotiations and where the sticking points would be and all the rest of it. And I find that quite cathartic and uh, and again some of the decision makers are circulated around because I kept it in fairly close hold uh, found it quite cathartic because it did give you a, a, diff a different point of view and a different perspective and that's where you know when, when you're dealing with nasty terrorist organizations if you think of it from the terrorist perspective not your perspective you get a slightly different view on things and it, it gets you to reset every now and again I, I think yeah the the the, the press um, have got a lot to play in this. And I, I, I do think that our press are too polarized and uh, will give opinions rather than facts. Um, mm -hmm. And therefore they're informing, uh, th sorry, they're influencing, they're not informing. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, and the, the important way of maintaining that is whenever you see something that's coming through, um, always ask yourself, you know, how credible is this? There's a lot of stuff that comes through. You, you, you look at it and you go, that's, that's definitely not credible. Uh, a lot of time your gut feeling uh, is you, your first thought is it, how many times have you told yourself, if only I'd gone with what my gut had said, then I wouldn't mm -hmm. be in this position. Um, often your gut feeling, that instantaneous gut feeling is right. Um, so always question the information that's coming in and don't, don't be afraid to question it. And you know, I, 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 I write a lot. I, I, I broadcast a lot. Um, I put it out there and I am more than happy that people question my views. I stand my ground. I stand my ground robustly, <laughs> but I will, I will listen to other people's views. And I have, I think once maybe possibly uh, not that I'd ever admit it publicly um, uh, changed my opinion because of someone else's argument. I'm, I'm always right. Of course. Yes. But no, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to listen to other arguments and, and change my opinion. And from an intelligencer's perspective, you have to do that and you have to be able to turn around and go, boss, you know, that assessment they gave you yesterday in saying that they were going to do this. I was wrong. I was wrong because we've got new information in um, and actually they're going to, they're going to do this instead. I believe. I'm not completely certain, so they might do what I'd said beforehand, but you don't know. And it's, it's that dilemma the whole way through. 
Yeah. And I think that's a, a really important takeaway for everyone, actually. So we've come to the end of our session, but where can people go to read the blogs that you write and keep up to date with what you're doing and the commentary that you're feeding into the industry? Yeah, I've, I've got my our podcast site, which is um, Chatting with Ingram, um, greyhairmedia.com. And you can see behind me the, the spelling of grey hair and all the rest of it is, is where my blogs are on. Uh, Google me. You'll, fi you'll find me um, yeah, across all the mainstream press that, that's out there. Definitely. And in, in industry terms, a lot, a lot, of, the, a lot of the industry press uh, and, and conferences. Uh, and again, if anyone is, is interested in more details, just, just drop me a line. Uh, it's easy to find my contact details um, because this you know, will affect corporations as much as anything else. And to red team thinking and red team messaging thinking is as important as red teaming in uh, a cyber environment as an, uh, another security environment or red teaming other activities. Uh, more than happy to get involved if, if, if people think it'll add value. Yeah, you should definitely do that. Reach out to him. If you've got any questions, obviously, I'm sure he'll be happy to answer them. Uh, all the links that uh, Philip's mentioned are going to be in the description below. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to avoid missing any other episodes of Rebooting. Thank you so much for coming. I really, really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you all on other episodes. Bye.